T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. She writes for The Spectator and also the Boston Herald, host of the Grace Curley Show on WRKO in Boston. Her latest piece for The Spectator Talking about the relentless attack against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He seems to be the punching bag for a lot of those in the media. Joining us is Grace Curley. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thank you so much for having me. Cool to talk to another fellow radio person. You're writing all over the place. And when you are in Boston, it's really hard not to look at some of the national politics and see how things are playing out. When you look at the way the media has really been going after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, what comes to mind? Because you just wrote about this in The Spectator. Well, first of all, I think it's fear. I, I think there's always a reason why people are attacking certain politicians so fiercely and then avoiding any um, criticism of other politicians. And I think it comes down to fear. I think the, the journalists right now in the mainstream media are clearly Democrats. They're clearly activists more than journalists. So when they see someone who they think threatens maybe the next Democratic uh, candidate for, pres- for the president, they start to attack that person. And I think Ron DeSantis is doing a really good job just by implementing some common sense measures. And that really scares a lot of Democrats. Yes. And you see this uh, brought out like in the 60-minute piece, was really uh, eye-opening to some people because they realized, well, if you were to actually look at what was said and what was said after and the parts that were left out purposely, it gives a lot of people the impression that that was done on purpose. You know, it wasn't just accidentally omitted. It was meant in order to give the impression that was one-sided or the impression for a certain group of people, but not the true story. And for the longest time, I thought, well, 60 Minutes... They've done a pretty good job of trying to keep it somewhat equal. Like they're they're not what you would consider an MSNBC type of hit job. But lately, a lot of that has been happening in some of these even well-respected publications and well-respected shows. Right. And most of these mistakes, I want to point out, they all go one way. Um, so you start to you start to question whether or not they're accidental. And another point I would make is that these journalists, for a long time, it seemed like well, they they're it could be laziness, it could be incompetence, but then you see the level of intense, Kaylee McEnany used to call it intellectual, uh, intellectual curiosity about certain issues. And when an issue strikes their fancy, let's say it's Ted, Gr- Ted Cruz goes to Cancun and leaves his dog at home, 
they all become Bob Woodward. They are, you know, knocking on the door, <laughs> they're figuring it out. And then when it's something like Ron DeSantis, they're cutting it up, they're slicing the video, they're really putting together something here. And then yet when you have a governor, Andrew Cuomo, who the treasure trove of scandal and deception, they don't go anywhere near it. So I used to feel like, oh, another mistake, another update, another correction. And, you know, you start to wonder how many of these mistakes and how much of a pattern can we see before we go, okay, this is purposeful. And you're right. Talking about handling of the coronavirus, they really resented Florida in their approach to it because what they decided to do was we're going to look at the statistics. We're going to look at what the numbers show, what the trends show, and we're going to realize that we're going to side on freedom. And that's what we're going to do because it shows that we can do so safely. And then you have the other side of it. California, New York, and Governor Cuomo going in the opposite direction. The people are just not happy with their governors. Governor Newsom not doing so well, facing a uh, recall effort in his state. And the media praises them. Through the longest time, they looked at them as, this is why can't every governor be like Governor Cuomo? Why can't this and that? And then when we find that the reason why some of these, uh, some of these things that came out are uh, perhaps terrible decisions, cost a lot of people lives, And then other governors may have looked at New York and said, "Okay, I'm going to mimic them because, you know, the hype's there. And they may have made decisions based on what was hidden in New York. And Governor Cuomo certainly guilty of doing that, I think, at least. Um, There's no follow up. They, They don't go and they don't criticize or condemn. And if they do, it's 20 seconds on the evening news and then they move on. Yeah, and there's also no mea culpa. There's no self-reflection. There's no moment of honesty where they say, listen, we screwed up. Listen, we're going to try to do better. It's just, oh, well, um, now we're reporting on it, so what's the big deal? You know, <laughs> we're, we're, Oh, we have a small headline on the front page, so you can't get mad at us. And you just made me think of another point that I never really had thought of before with Ron DeSantis, because by doing, by following his gut instinct and by doing what he thought was right, he has exposed what could have been. Because if we didn't have examples like Ron DeSantis, then we might all say, well, we had no other option for the past year than to do exactly this. And this was the only option. Otherwise, who knows how many people would have died? This is the best thing we could have done was shut down the economy and, you know, create all of these people who are depressed and just wreak all this havoc. You might say, well, what else were we supposed to do? And he kind of makes that a false narrative because you look at that and you go, well, we could have done that. We could have kept schools open. We could have kept restaurants open. We could have resumed normal life and still be be safe about it. But I think that that's part of the reason he drives them so crazy is because otherwise they might be able to say, well, this was our only option and and this is the only thing we could ever do. And he's, he's kind of standing there and going, no, it's not. We have other options. Mm -hmm. And when Joe Biden on the campaign trail last year said that Governor Cuomo in New York, that's the gold standard. It doesn't get any better with how they're handling (laughs) things. Well, yeah, if you're going to lie and manipulate your stats and what's going on inside of these nursing homes, then it's pretty easy to tell a a story of success when it's really not the truth. It's almost like China for as a way who lied and manipulated their stats. They're saying for a long time there were no coronavirus deaths and everyone looked at that and said, yeah, right. Look at us now. Uh, Some states like New York mimicking that playbook in order to make themselves look better. And but the difference is the media never questioned it. And the ones that did question it probably got banned from social media. They're the ones that got looked at as, oh, they're they're passing on fake news. They're not allowed to do this. And they're the ones that are ostracized when they were right. Yeah. And I think another big issue with this is that they're only looking at Andrew Cuomo now. And I hope people remember this because 
part of what drives me so crazy, and it probably drives you crazy too, because I know you follow the media really closely, but um, it drives me crazy when they give you like a little, they throw you a little bone as a reader or as a follower on Twitter. They throw you a little bone and, and everyone starts going, oh, good on so-and-so, good on Jake Tapper for bringing up Andrew Cuomo, <laughs> or you know, good on so-and-so for writing about this. And I kind of sit there and I go, no, I'm not going to give them credit for talking about it six months to a year <laughs> later. It's ridiculous. They should have been talking about it from the beginning. And I want people to remember the only reason that they're talking about Andrew Cuomo now is they can afford to lose him. Joe Biden is in the White House. He is they're going to throw him to the wolves because now it's politically convenient. But it's not out of some sort of journalistic integrity. Yeah. Case in point, Hunter Biden's story. It's not politically mm-hmm. expedient for them to go after a clear violator of a laws. I mean, they have the laptop and with the New York Post exposing all of these things, I mean, with actual evidence, photographic evidence, and they did a great job looking at all these different accounts and where he was posting things online and they get shut down and online Twitter and all of these other places go above and beyond to make sure to hide this story. Now it's out there in the clear and they're still not taking it seriously. Hunter Biden is going around on his tour and he's saying, you know, I'm someone that made mistakes, but my dad still loves me. But they're completely ignoring all of these problems that are still on the table that they haven't fully addressed because of his dad being inside of the White House. And you're right about Andrew Cuomo. They're throwing him to the wolves because he's no longer useful to them. Now, if only they would do the same thing for Hunter Biden and look at this honestly. Yeah, and I think you bring up a great point, and I think that in some ways the Hunter Biden issue is even less nuanced than the Andrew Cuomo one because they literally said it's Russian disinformation three weeks before the election, and now Jimmy Kimmel has Hunter Biden out talking about, you know, putting, oh, how I'm amazed that you can put your shoes on. Oh, no, it's my pants that are the big problem, and they laugh, and you know, ha, 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 and it's so funny, and he can't say whether or not the laptop is his. And it's really, really insulting to half the country who was, you know, ripping their hair out, hoping that some of this would get reported and hoping that some voters would understand what we're dealing with. And part of the Hunter Biden thing that drives me crazy is when, as you can probably tell at this point, a lot of things drive me crazy. (laughs) But it's the fact that when people talk about it, if I talk about it on my show, people will say, oh, well, drug addiction is really serious and you shouldn't make light of it. And I never want to make light of that. But my whole point is I'm not talking about the fact that he has a problem. I'm talking about the fact that he has a problem and had a, or had a problem. His father knew about it, and he was still involved in some of the most shady business dealings I've ever seen. It's a massive conflict of interest. And a big part of that laptop, when you get past the shock of the bathtub photos and the partying photos and, you know, kind of all of that scandalous um, stuff. When you get past that, there's emails about money going to the big guy, a certain percentage. There's a lot more to it that is more concerning for American citizens than just the gross pictures. And I think that's what people need to figure out. And like you said, the press now can laugh about it and yuck it up with Hunter Biden because all is well. They're guys in the White House. So... Now it's, once again, politically convenient. Yeah, pretty bad. Grace Curley writes for The Spectator and also the Boston Herald, host of The Grace Curley Show on WRKO in Boston. She wrote a piece about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. We're discussing that and a few other things when it comes to the relationship between the media 
and politicians. We'll continue with Grace right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Keep pace with the latest locally. Ask your smart speaker to play KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. I'm Brian Recker. You can find me on Facebook. It'd be nice if you liked me on Facebook. Go ahead. Give it a try. Ryan Record Radio. It's right there if you're already a member and you have your account. And just do a quick search for it, like it. It'd be a nice thing for you to do if you want to be nice. You're the host of the Grace Curley Show on WRKO, which is pretty cool. What's the Boston's feel about all of this? Because uh, at least in St. Louis, we have a pretty you know liberal government, but in the state of Missouri, it's pretty red. So if you go to some of the outlining areas, you find that conservative politics are still there, but it's a little bit more progressive inside of the city. What's like the demographic of your listeners, and what are the things that they talk about in Boston today? My demographic of my listeners, definitely conservative. Um, We're getting younger and younger, which makes me really happy. I think there's a lot of young conservatives in Massachusetts. That's going to shock people. But the reason (laughs) I think it is is because they kind of grew up just being bombarded with all this liberal craziness, whether it was at school or, you know, anywhere socially. You're just always yelled at by these Democrats. And I think a lot of young Republicans are looking for an outlet. And I'm really lucky where that market isn't really tapped into. So a lot of people are saying, oh, I like listening to you. And I'm, at first I was kind of shocked because it was young people. But that makes me really happy. Um, we also just have a lot of um, regular conservatives, moms and dads and, you know, grandparents who listen in. And um, but, the, but the thing about the thing about Massachusetts is it's a bastion for liberal craziness. But here's the funny part. I have a lot of acquaintances who are liberals, and, you know, it amazes me that they really buy into all of this. But I noticed that they were so down on Florida and they were so down on red states, how they were handling COVID, the mask situations, the Neanderthal thinking, as Joe Biden once put it. And it's the most amazing thing because now they're all kind of needing a break from the craziness and you know where they're traveling to i've noticed mm-hmm. i florida yeah absolutely they're still they're in, all going people want a vacation florida. they're all going on vacation and it's like i, I just I, I think that even for people who really buy into this stuff in massachusetts they're getting tired of it well you guys have this old house which primarily films in the Boston area, unless I checked, unless they've moved and expanded out. But I love watching that. But every time they do a house, it's always somewhere in that area. You know, it, recently, by the way, 60 Minutes did a piece on St. Louis and our circuit attorney, Kim Gardner. And it was a big puff piece. She has, I mean, major red flags and problems here. I mean, there's an investigation that she went into for the former governor of Missouri, Eric Greitens. And it was a real shady deal to begin with. The person didn't want anything to do with it, but she kind of forced the hand and brought this up. And by the way, she had the former governor indicted on evidence she didn't have and evidence that didn't exist. Later, we find out that the person that she hired as a private investigator has now been indicted on perjury. And now what's her involvement with knowing these things? So she's being looked into. Her prosecution rate is terrible. It's like less than, last check, it was right around 50% getting uh, the guilty when normally that number should be 75 to 85%, at least regional. But 60 Minutes comes in and makes it look like she is the savior of the city of St. Louis. So I'm wondering, at least for the Boston area, 
demographic-wise, one of the major trends that we're seeing in these larger cities, murder rates are going up. Homicides have been terrible here in St. Louis, um, and it's at a 50-year high. And right now we're trending to have even more homicides. So a major city like Boston, what are your biggest problems that you're dealing with right now? And is it any, any similarities to what you're seeing in St. Louis? Oh, we have so many problems in Boston. Where do I begin? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that whenever you have a um, a major city, there's obviously crime. I think especially right now, I don't know if you've noticed, but because people are kind of desperate and they're cooped up, there does seem to be a lot of frustration and a lot of violence happening. Um, as far as Boston, though, we all we have a very, very rich history in corruption uh, that goes with state troopers, um, that goes with Boston police. Uh, I could keep you here all day. I don't know how much time you have, but I really, <laughs> really encourage people to check out the Boston Herald because that's where you'll find all of that. Um, there, there's tons of stuff on that. I mean, even with Governor Charlie Baker, they, I'm not saying anything with corruption with him, but... It's been kind of a mess here with the coronavirus and the rollout, and there's all sorts of things on that. I actually wrote a piece for Spectator about the Massachusetts vaccine rollout and how complicated it was, kind of needlessly complicated. So, yeah, we have tons of issues here. But it's funny hearing you talk about that because it makes me feel at least a little bit better that we're not the only ones who are dealing with that kind of level of um, shadiness. Uh Uh-huh. Well, USA Today just did a story. St. Louis was mentioned. I don't think Boston was, but they were talking. It was an opinion piece talking about how the cities that have really led the fight for, like, defund the police and we're going to pull back and we're going to try to change the way we do things have really seen a huge spike in murders. And across the United States, I guess we've had the uh, last year, at least the most murders since like 95. It's it was it really spiked. And a lot of it has to do with the way this defund the police in some of these major cities. And I didn't know if Boston was one of those cities included in there. It's it seems like everyone has their own issues, but I don't know. Boston seems like it has most of their stuff together. Yeah, I, it's all in the eye of the beholder. I mean, I'm, I think the defund the police stuff is absolutely um, insane. I, I know we had it during the protests uh, in the riots in this past summer. There was a lot of um, upheaval in Boston. But, yeah, I, I just I don't understand how that's going to help matters by defunding the police. I saw today um, one of the members of the squad was saying that, that we need to we need to totally get rid of the police. And I, I know that the communities that are most hurt by that are actually um, black and brown communities. So I just think it's a ridiculous conversation. If you want to talk about reforming the police, that's one thing. But, um, yeah, just completely getting rid of them seems insane to me. Yeah, and it's a disconnect with the people that live there. If you were to go to North St. Louis, where we have so many of these problems, they say, man, we could use some more police on the streets. We're, we're literally dying out here. And places like Portland and Minneapolis that have tried these approaches of lowering the police force or defunding them, all the people that live in these communities are out there, and they're doing everything they can to try to advocate for more police. In fact, yeah, if you remember Minneapolis, when they decided to cut the police budget, the people had to sue because they said, hey, it's written into our church charter that you have to have so much police, which you're not providing. So they had to sue to get more police. I thought, man, I wish there were more people in some of these other cities like St. Louis that would take an approach like that. Well, I think Charles Barkley put it put it really well when when this whole movement started about defund the police. He said, he said, well, all of these rich, white, liberal women who want to defund the police, and I'm paraphrasing, he didn't use those Mm -hmm. words, but 
they're going to be able to call the police no matter what. And he said, who are who are the black people supposed to call? Ghostbusters? Yeah. And I remember everyone kind of laughed at it. And it was the, the way he set it up. He's a funny guy. But I was really thinking it's not it hurts the communities that you claim you're trying to protect. And it's actually really sad. Yeah, they're going to be able to find protection for themselves one way or the other as the average person that's, uh, you know, working a minimum wage or whatever job in a family with a house in a neighborhood that has a lot of rundown properties that aren't being taken care of and they see crime on the streets or family members harassed or whatever it is, what are they going to be able to do? And there's always this distrust to the government and people are, you know, upset when the government does them wrong. But I think we're doing just as much of a disservice when we're not policing some of these neighborhoods and we're cutting back and we're allowing these things to happen and these innocent people are getting hurt. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty far away from having the right answer to everything, sure. I, I don't mind having a discussion, but as long as you're not throwing bricks through a window to start that discussion, I think that could be productive. Which, by the way, if people wanted to find your show or maybe listen to you or read your articles, where can they look you up? So you can find my show at the iHeart app. You can also check out all the podcasts at gracecurlyshow.com. You can check out all my writing at spectator.us and also at the Boston Herald. And you can follow me on Twitter at G underscore Curly. I always have um, some interesting stuff coming out for Spectator. Uh, I try to get something out once a week, and then I have something once a week for the Boston Herald. You seem to be all over the place. I mean, you are really maximizing your appearance. And as a radio personality, kudos to you, Grace. I mean, that's wonderful. And it sounds like everything's been so successful for you out there. That's wonderful. Thank you. I'm, I'm trying to keep it up. I, I learned from Howie Carr, who's a big radio guy here in Boston. And anytime he got the opportunity to, you know, write something or go somewhere or be on a show, he would take it. So now I'm trying to do the same thing. He still does take it, but I'm, I'm trying to do the same thing. Big name in radio, of course. Uh, you're right for The Spectator, the Boston Herald, host of The Grace Curley Show on WRKO. And her latest piece in The Spectator about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. You can use that as a springboard and see some of her other work. Grace Curley, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thank you so much for having me. And she joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Overnight America continues. This is the live portion, the next uh, 20 minutes or so. So if you are up live with us tonight, you're welcome to join the show at 314-436-7900. And it was funny because the things I was planning to talk about, and there's a couple of stories about the coronavirus that are out there that I was going to talk about. And I will. I mean, it's not like we're (laughs) this is going anywhere. But right before the break, I was talking to producer Mike because I took advantage of some of my downtime. That interview that you just heard with Grace, I recorded earlier. As much as uh, Grace may like to be on this program, it would be 1 a.m. Boston time to join us. She's not staying up till 1 a.m. to join us. So just a little bit of radio trickery. We had her on earlier, recorded and played it back. So I had some free time. So I went upstairs and I was a little hungry. So I made some ramen noodle and it was delicious, just in case you were wondering. And producer Mike asked me, how do you cook your ramen? And I said, well, I think there's only two ways to cook ramen. Way number one, you boil the water, put the packet in. I like to pop the the noodles in fours, like four quarters, dump it in, let the noodles cook, and then you drain the water. Then I like to put about three-fourths of the seasoning packet in with some butter, stir it up, noodles in a bowl. It's delicious. Honestly, 
Raymond, uh, Raymond, ramen noodles are so cheap. They're what, like 10 cents of container thing. They're super cheap. And I don't even know how you could improve on them. Uh, you, you could put them at a dollar each and it would taste the same. I, I really don't know anything you can do to uh, convince me that I need to pay anything more than 10 cents because they're absolutely perfect the way they are. The other way, of course, is the traditional soup way. So you cook it up like a soup. You put the full seasoning packet in, mix it up with the water, and then you have a bowl of soup. It's always very good. I really don't know if there's any other way to cook ramen noodles, honestly. I think that's it, period. And that's all you need in your life. When you go through college and you're on your own, you live on those things. That's no joke. Sometimes as an adult, you live on those things. It's just how it goes. I just so happen to like them. And I don't think there's any debate that the number one uh, seasoning packet is the chicken seasoning packet. So if you have a different way to cook ramen noodles, <laughs> in between those two, I like the boil it, drain the water method. Three, one, four. Four three six seventy nine hundred. Okay, I wasn't going to talk about that, but producer Mike was so convincing. He said, "There's really only two ways you can do it, and that's it. I don't think there's any other way to cook it." Uh, Missouri and Illinois are set to pause the Johnson and Johnson vaccinations after what they call rare severe blood clots and reports that came up from that. And that's at KMOX.com, and that's at the recommendation of the CDC and um, some major U.S. public health organizations that have put that out there. So the Illinois Department of Public Health, the IDPH, and the Missouri Department of Public uh, Health in uh, Senior Services are recommending that they put a pause on this sort of thing, making the announcement this morning. There are six cases of rare and severe blood clots in persons after receiving the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And it makes me wonder, too, how many millions of doses have been administered across the United States? And is it just a total of six cases total? After millions, that seems like a relatively low number. It makes me wonder why they would pull the plug on it so quickly. Now, Johnson & Johnson, somewhat controversial because of the methods of testing. And even the Archdiocese of St. Louis put out the notice that because of how they used um, aborted stem cells and how active it was and part of uh, the the vaccine being used in mass replication, they said that it's probably best if you could have a choice to step away from the Johnson and Johnson. And even though I'm not Catholic and I don't really take any advice from the archdiocese, I looked at that and said, you know, that's enough for me to pass on the Johnson and Johnson. It would be convenient to have just one shot and be done with it. But then again, it seems like the Pfizer or the Moderna one shots are just as effective as the Johnson and Johnson, except they didn't offer it in two, but they're effective in different ways. It's, you know, of course I'm not a doctor and I'm not pretending to be one. So here we are in Missouri and Illinois. They're saying that there's blood clots. It doesn't seem like it's a huge widespread epidemic of blood clots from those that are using it, but it's enough for them to draw some caution. Imagine if car companies had this exact same number of scrutiny as there were just a handful of cases of something and they had to do a full recall on it. I I don't know if car companies are under the same guidelines because it seems like there has to be a lot of different accidents that happen before they recall something in multiple accidents for the most part, because it's very costly to do a, a full-blown recall. But it made me wonder if the medical field was being overcautious in this or just the right number of caution. New York Times first reported that six people who became sick 
are women between the ages of 18 and 48 years old. So the six people are eight. It says the six cases out of 6.8 million doses being administered. That seems like such a low number to pull this from the shelf. What's the Pfizer rates where people are finding themselves uh, getting sick, feeling the flu-like symptoms after getting the vaccine or the Moderna or anything like that? It seems like there's a lot of people that have been having these side effects, maybe more than just a sore arm. And that seems a lot more common than the blood clots, but then the blood clots are very serious. Uh, People who received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine who developed a severe headache, abdominal pain, leg pain, or shortness of breath within three weeks after the vaccination should contact their health provider. Within three weeks? I was under the impression that you'll find if you're having uh, some sort of reaction to it almost instantly. So from the people I've known that have taken this, they say you have to sit for about 15 minutes after the shot is administered and they just make sure there's no real weird reaction and then you're on your way. But three weeks later, something can pop up with this Johnson and Johnson vaccine. That's scary. Uh, You know, I don't know. I've heard some people on social media and on Facebook. I've had listeners reach out to me and say that uh, maybe they're waiting a little bit longer to get a little bit more of a cross-reference of what could be the reaction to this if it's more dangerous than what they're leading on to be because they're just not that trusting of it. To me, I am fine to get the vaccine. I just haven't uh, received it yet, but I plan on getting it here pretty soon and signing up and scheduling this sort of thing. It's just uh, I'm a convenience guy, so I just have to find a way to make it more convenient. I just don't want to drive down to the dome to get it, but there's other options. So that's what I'm going to do. So don't let me... Uh, the, the thing that I think we have to be weary of when we look at these things, I don't think you have to be a cheerleader for the vaccine to be able to say that there are some cautionary tales that you need to look at before you make your decision. I don't think you have to go out there and believe that if you say anything that is newsworthy, kind of like what we're talking about right now, or you say anything that would make it look like you are putting some doubt onto the vaccine. I think you should be allowed to talk about this. If you really are someone that's following along, you have to have the best statistics and you have to really know everything you're getting into. If you're going to be injecting your body with it, I don't think there's any problem with having this little bit of skepticism. I don't think there's any problem to go back and say, I I really need to know more about this. I don't think there's any problem with that. Everyone has a different comfort level. I don't think you should be shaming people online for bringing up concerns, but a lot of people do that too. And this is pretty serious. Blood clots, even though it's what, six out of 6.8 million, super low percentage. But this is the first I've heard of in the first three weeks, you can have severe headaches, leg pain, shortness of breath, abdominal pain, things like that. I'd never heard of that. Maybe it's just a good thing in general that we're getting all of this out right now. And hopefully by this time next year, everything's going to be a lot easier. Just put it in pill form. Can we do that? Another thing from KMOX.com, it says face masks may disappear in a year as Dr. Garza here as part of the St. Louis Metropolitan Task Force says that we could still be dealing with the virus. Obviously, the virus isn't going to be eradicated. It's kind of tough to eradicate. We haven't been able to do it to the flu. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it to this, but even after getting the vaccine, is you still got to be somewhat cautious. You just learn a lot about this. It's new. It's new grounds that we are treading on. And at KMOX.com, uh, Dr. Garza does talk about this and says that logically he just doesn't see everyone still wearing a mask a year from now. I hope that is true. Makes you wonder, to the contrary, how much fight the Biden White House will be putting up for this because they're overly cautious in some ways with Dr. Fauci. And 
seems like he's already warned that we could be seeing this well into next year. Dr. Garza, apparently a little more optimistic. 314-436-7900. we got a lot left on the show tonight. In fact, we have a couple of great guests that we'll be bringing up next hour. Austin Roos is the president of the Center for Family and Human Rights. He's going to talk about his new book called Under Siege. And Meryl Oliver from East Civis is going to talk about COVID funding to local governments, some of the concerns that she's had with the places and the people that she's talked to, because people are really worried. Are they going to ask for this money back if you don't spend it properly in order to help either the economy or fight COVID? So uh, what are some of those uh, things that we need to look out for? At least governments need to look out for. So she'll talk to about that in the next hour. So we got one more segment left this hour. If you want to call in, this is Overnight America KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. All right. What a night. What a night. If you want to uh, message or call in, you can. I like that not Big Al gave us a text message, so I know that is not Big Al for sure. Given a phone call is Barbara. Welcome to Overnight America. I was wondering why we don't close our borders because Canada has closed their borders further because of the corona, and uh, um, there's also other diseases that are coming in like tuberculosis. Uh, there's uh, uh, there's going to be polio coming in, and there's also going to be swine flu, the H1N1 coming in, and we're not uh, we're not having a doctor down at the border checking all these for communicable diseases that all these people are coming in. So um, they should be checked by a doctor, like it was at Ellis Island when we brought people in from Europe and we quarantined them to see if they had communicable diseases or diseases up hmm. in the United States. Yeah, so I wonder how many doctors they do have on the southern border. And I will point out, if you've seen any of the leaked photos, because they do not allow the press to go and inspect these, that you find the uh, the amount of uh, people and these minors that are jammed into these areas are, I mean, they're like shoulder to the shoulder. Basically, they get a little mat or whatever it is, a cot that they can lay on, and that's their space. There is no way that they are within outside of three to six feet from another person. I mean, they are right up on top of each other, which is kind of how you spread the virus. So even if one of the kids had one or was asymptomatic, it would be very easy for it to spread all the way across, which is a huge concern because the lot of, uh, the, you find that for the most part, they're trying to get the kids out as fast as possible. They go to different charities or homes and they're just spreading it from there on. Yeah. And also down in Venezuela, they had two hospitals and all the patients died in the two hospitals with tuberculosis. That's so terrible. Tuberculosis was eradicated in the United States, and it's and one young man died, one child died in Texas years ago, a couple years ago with tuberculosis. So scary, and that's the real concern. And when we talk about the southern border, the media is just giving the Biden administration a free pass over and over and over again. And it's so much worse. The welcome sign uh, is not welcoming in immigration. It's welcoming in all the problems that come with it when you have no track record or no documents to go along. And we're, we're in a health pandemic right now. This is something that really needs to be taken more seriously, but they just can't or won't, whatever it may be. Well, yeah, they Barbara, will it's a good point. seriously when 
there's a um uh you know a whole lot of people dying of tuberculosis and and uh, all other diseases the swine flu okay. and all the other diseases okay thanks barbara good to hear from you tonight uh let's go to john who's calling in welcome to overnight america hey ryan it's john how are you tonight good Hey, I was curious last week when I was coming in, uh, you were starting to tell a story about Jack Canna. I kind of missed it. I had work at night, so I had to go take an emergency call. What was that you're saying about Jack Canna? Did they say he had dementia or some early signs of it? Yeah, which is kind of a shame because his television program still airs. I think it's Saturday morning on one of the networks, but very well known. I about him. I, uh, in Florida, we went down to Orlando where his zoo is, and I went to my niece, and one of her sister was her name. Before she battled Down syndrome, had some brain issues, and we went to that zoo that day, and it just happened that we were really fortunate because Jack Hanna was there, and he came up to us and couldn't have been friendlier to her and kind of liking to Krista when she gave him a big hug and everything. And it was really kind of he, he ended up spending the whole day with us. I couldn't believe it. He gave us a tour, and about oh, wow. people kept coming up to him about, hey, can you check on this animal? We have questions. And finally, he got irritated. Mm-hmm. Oh, John's phone line dropped. Yeah, I, I can hear the phone signal. The cell phone was a little bit choppy, but it doesn't surprise me. I've heard all great things about Jack Canna. I did see him in person one time. He came to my college and normally you would think him coming and speaking to college kids. That seems like a weird fit. And it kind of was because it was siblings weekend. The whole idea was you bring in your younger siblings and the idea is some of them could be a lot younger, so they would like something like that. There had to have been a couple thousand people, students with their younger siblings there, a lot of kids. So he brings out the animals, and kids were having a great time. I decided to go, too. I had a friend from out of town that came in and stayed with us that weekend just for the fun of it. I, I was still living in the dorms at that time. But went to go see Jack Hanna, put on a good show. Wish uh, his family and him the best as now he, uh, you know, he, he's got himself to worry about. His family has him to worry about, and you spent so much time worrying about other people and the animals' well-being and welfare that now it's his turn. So we uh, we love Jack Hanna here. All right, Austin Roos, president of Center for Family and Human Rights, coming up after the break. It's Overnight America, KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 